0: You can go ahead and be seated, and as you do, let's join together in prayer. Lord, we praise You. We thank You that we can say it is well with our soul because of the work of Jesus, our Savior. Thank You for His work that has redeemed us and made us to be well eternally. We praise You, Father, for all that You have done, for all that You are. We continue to pray that You would help us to taste and see that You are good. Lord, change the taste buds of our soul that we might taste You, that we might know that You are good, that we might enjoy You, that we might delight in the precious fruit of the garden of Your salvation. We thank You for what You've provided for us. Help us to enjoy it. Help us to praise You for it. Help us to gladden our souls in You. Lord, help us to behold wonderful things in Your Word and satisfy us with Your riches. So once again, I pray with that old Anglican prayer, Lord, what we have not, give us. What we know not, teach us. And what we are not, make us. For the sake of Your Son, our Savior, and we pray in His name. Amen and amen. Well, church family, thank you for prioritizing the gathering of the local church for the people of God gathered today. What a blessing it is to sing together, to look into God's Word together. If you would, grab your copy of God's Word and turn to Romans chapter 5. May the Lord make His face shine upon us. May He help us taste and see that He is good from Romans chapter 5 today. If you're new here at Miller Heights Baptist Church, One of our values, one of our distinctives, one of our normal practices is just to go passage by passage through books of the Bible. And so we're in Romans right now just going a passage at a time. And our goal is to expose ourselves to all of what this book teaches, not just to jump around and pick passages that we like or that we already understand, but to expose ourselves to all of God's Word. We are intentionally and unapologetically unoriginal. We aren't trying to be creative. We aren't trying to make up new truths or new ways to respond to the issues of our culture. Rather, we just want to be faithful to the time-tested and sufficient truth of God's Word. We believe all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for our lives. We believe none of God's Word will return to Him void. And we believe that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. And so let's hear the word of our Lord today for the good of our souls, for the glory of our God. Let's consider the message of Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is the Word of our gracious God. May He plant its truth deep in our souls. Well, the first gem that I want you to see in this passage is the tone with which Paul writes the tone of a passage is its underlying feel or attitude. It's often difficult to know exactly with what tone a passage is supposed to be read. We sometimes aren't sure of the tone. Is the passage supposed to be weighty and serious? Or is it supposed to be light and cheery? Sometimes we just we don't know. But in this passage, we know. We can see the tone. It's right on the surface of this passage. Notice the tone of joy and rejoicing here. Paul writes as a man who has found a great treasure that he wants to boast in. Paul can't help but smile ear to ear as he considers the implications of what he has been writing. In his commentary on this passage, Martin Luther says this about this passage. He says, St. Paul speaks in this chapter with great joy and exceeding exultation. Luther says, in the whole Bible, there is hardly another chapter which can equal this triumphant text. That's the tone of this passage. Triumphant. There's not only the language here of joy and rejoicing in this passage, but notice the rapid-fire way in which Paul is exulting in these glorious realities. As you read this passage, it's almost as if Paul could not contain himself and his exuberance any longer. In the past few chapters of the book of Romans, particularly chapters 3 and 4, Paul has been arguing with careful precision that justification is by faith alone. Paul has had to answer objections and build a case. It is as if Paul has been stretching a rubber band tighter and tighter and tighter through chapters 3 and 4. And beginning here in chapter 5, Paul releases the tension and bursts into exuberant praise for what this all means for us. Now. Paul is going to move back to careful and precise argument very soon. But here at the beginning of chapter 5, he takes a step back and just surveys all that he has said, and he rejoices in what it means that we have been justified by faith through the work of our gracious Savior. Notice that Paul is enjoying God in this passage. He is enjoying what God has done. He is enjoying the good news of the Gospel of Jesus. Do you do this? Like, Is this something that happens in your life? Do you enjoy God? Do you delight God? in who He is and what He's done for you, when you think about, when you contemplate your relationship with the God of the universe, does it move you to inner delight? Like, I'm not asking if you trust God. I'm not asking if you know God's in control. I'm asking if you're moved deep in your soul to truly enjoy And delight in your relationship with the God who has justified you by His grace. If not, I pray this passage serves your joy today and in this season of your life. We've been justified by faith. Paul reminds us in verse 1. You see how he reminds us? This is really a summary of chapters 3 and 4. This is Paul's summary. Look, therefore... Since we have been justified by faith. This is Paul's summary of chapters 3 and 4. This is what he has been carefully arguing for. And he says, since that's true, we have some things in our possession that are absolutely amazing. Since chapters 3 and 4 are true of us, that God has counted us righteous in Him, there are some things we have. That therefore at the beginning of verse 1, Signals us to recognize this passage as the implication of all that Paul has been arguing. What do we have if we've been justified in Jesus? Well, we have a lot. And here Paul summarizes at least five possessions that we have because we've been justified by faith. At least I want to highlight these five possessions that Paul says we have since we have been justified by faith. So consider this something of a look at your spiritual net worth. Just a peek. It's not all there, but here's a peek at what we have because we are in Jesus. Number one, notice, we have peace with God we have peace with God now notice that Paul uses the phrase we have throughout this passage instead of I have or you have or even they have I think this is significant that Paul says we have over and over again because one of the bigger points that Paul has been making is the unity that Jews and Gentiles have in Jesus Paul is intentionally being inclusive of all races and backgrounds, not just a select few types of people. These are blessings we all enjoy together, not just alone as individuals. Every believer, regardless of background, regardless of race, every believer in Jesus has peace with God. This is something we have. And church family, what a precious possession this is especially when you consider that Paul started the book of Romans with about three chapters of describing our hostility toward God. Paul describes us as enemies of God, as hating God and His truth. We suppress God's truth, Paul said in chapter 1. We worship created things instead of our Creator. We are born with enmity toward God and God's response to our rebellion is His righteous wrath. And so, peace with God is unattainable by our own efforts. No offering that you and I could bring could give us peace with a holy God. But as Paul has described, God Himself has offered the sacrifice of atonement to appease His wrath. Which is why chapter 5 verse 1 says that peace with God is is how? How does it come to us? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is, through His death, through His resurrection, Jesus has purchased this peace between holy God and hostile man. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.16 says that through His death, Jesus has reconciled us to God and thereby killed the hostility between us and God. Jesus Himself is our peace with God. He is, as we sang, our Prince of Peace. Peace with God is only through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God is foundational to every other kind and experience of peace in all of eternity. If you don't have peace with God, the best you can have is shallow, short-lived peace in this world, which, newsflash, means you have no peace at all. Friends, how much effort and money do people spend trying to find peace for their soul in this world? How many counselors and psychiatrists are kept in business because of the inner longing that we have for peace? How many purchases of cars and houses and drugs and alcohol and clothes and vacations are because people are longing for this peace with God. Christian, rejoice in this possession. Rejoice in what you have been given Because of your justification. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, even if you don't feel it, even if you forget it, in Jesus, our peace with God does not ebb and flow. It doesn't waver. It doesn't come in and out. This is objective peace with God. Because we have been justified, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What a delightful possession this is. What a delightful possession we have in Jesus. But there's more. Number two, we have access to God's grace. We have access to the grace of our God. Notice what we have been given because of our justification in verse two. Paul says, through him... We have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Now, each phrase of verse 2 is loaded with delightful truth. Paul says, notice, we have this blessing through Him. That is, again, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice how Paul is careful to connect everything we have been given with the work of Jesus in His death and resurrection. Friends, if we ever fall into the mode of seeing our blessings apart from how we got them, we are in danger of assuming we deserve them. If we ever forget where they came from, we're in danger of assuming we've earned them or we deserve them. Everything we have is through Jesus. He is the source. He is the purchaser, the provider of these precious possessions. Through Him, Paul says, we've obtained something. We've been given something. We have obtained, he says, access by faith. The word obtained implies we've been given this. We've gotten this. This is something that we now possess. And what do we possess? Paul says we have access. We have access. Access speaks of being able to approach someone in a superior position. To have access to someone is to be in their favor. If you have access to someone, you can go to them, you can ask them for help, you can ask them for advice. So what blessing would it be to have access to people in privileged positions, right? To have access to a president or a king or a CEO of a large corporation, that would be vigorously treasured. That access would be something to be valued. I've seen some videos recently where someone will go up to a stranger just on the street or at a party and they'll ask, Who's the most famous person in your contacts? And sometimes they'll say, call them, let's see if they answer. You see, to have someone in your contacts means you have access to them. At some point, they gave you their number and you can call them and hopefully they will will answer. And Paul says, our justification by faith has given us access to Almighty God. Before our justification, our sins made us opposed to God and His ways. We didn't want, nor did we think we needed, access to God. But now, because of the work of Jesus, we are God's children. And children have access. Tim Keller mentioned that the only person who would dare wake up a king at 3 a.m. to ask for water is that king's child. And we have that kind of access to our Heavenly Father, through Jesus. What exactly do we have access to? We have access, Paul says, into this grace in which we stand. God's grace is His unmerited favor toward us. And we have access to that grace every day, all day, and for an eternity. And Paul says, not just that we have been given this grace, not just that we have access to this grace, but notice, we are standing in this grace. This is the access to grace that we stand in. I think this points to the security that we enjoy because of the work of Jesus. I think Paul is delighting in the security of this relationship that has been purchased by justification you see many people view their relationship with God I think as equivalent to walking across a raging river on a slippery log. They think that at any moment they're going to they're going to fall off or slip off on one side or the other. But Paul says no, if we are justified by faith, we are standing in the grace of God. We've been lifted off the slippery log and our feet have been firmly planted in this grace. Friends, the safest place any of us could ever be is on this solid rock of the grace of our God. We are secure in God's grace because of the work of Jesus, because Jesus paid it all. So where are you standing today? You're standing on that slippery log, just hoping you don't make a wrong step? Or are your feet firmly planted? in the grace of God. Secure in His grace towards you. Christian, rejoice in this today. Rejoice in this precious possession. You have access to God's grace through our Lord Jesus Christ. What a priceless possession this is. But there is yet more. Notice number three. We have joyful hope. We have joyful hope. Notice the result of justification at the end of verse 2. Paul says, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. If you're looking down there at verse 2, I want you to say that sentence with me. Say it out loud with me. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. One more time. We rejoice in hope of "...of the glory of God." Now, let me be honest about this sentence. That can sound at first like it's just some Christian jargon that makes no sense. Right? Just throw a bunch of spiritual words together, smile, and move on. You know what I'm talking about. What does this mean? What does it mean to rejoice in hope of the glory of God? Well, rejoice literally is the word boast says we boast, we delight in this, we rejoice in this. and what is, it that we, what is it that we delight in? What is it that we rejoice in because we have justification by faith alone? Well, the first thing to be aware of in this sentence is that the word hope does not refer to wishful thinking. So we usually use the word hope, I use the word hope often to express something that I'm unsure of, but I really would like to see happen. Like I could say, I hope the Lakers win the championship. Or I could say, I hope we have fajitas for dinner. See, when we use hope like that, we're actually undermining what the Bible means when it uses the word hope. As believers, our hope is secure. Our hope is something we are 110% sure of. It is something that is guaranteed. It's not something you have to wish for. We can bank our entire lives on our hope with certainty. And Paul says that this sure hope that we have is the glory of God. And what I think he means is that our hope is that God will be always be who He said He will be. Our God will be glorious forever. That is, He will fulfill His purposes. God won't cease to be the center of the universe. God will never vacate His throne. He will do what He said. That is what we hope in. We hope in the glory of God. We don't have wishful thinking that God will fulfill His purposes. We know He will. And we, know, and we will share in that future glory with Him. In John 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer, Jesus prays that His followers will be with Him to see His glory. The glory that He had since the foundation of the world. That's a lot of glory that Jesus prays we will see. And so our sure hope is that we will see that glory forever. Our eternity is secure because God is glorious. Our hope is anchored in our justification and it's focused on the glory of God. And so the sure hope that we have is what fuels us to rejoice and boast in God. We have this as our possession. It's ours. We have the hope of the glory of God. And Paul says, in this we boast. In this we rejoice. Author Tony Merida tells of a college baseball player who won the College World Series one year. And after his team was done celebrating on the field, this player went and got a bottle and filled that bottle with some of the dirt around home plate. And the reason he kept that bottle was not to put it on a shelf to remind himself of that victory. He probably got a trophy for that. The reason he filled that bottle with dirt is because he knew he would be returning the next season, and at some point, he would need motivation. And so during the middle of that next season when his team was struggling and losing games, he would often open that bottle of dirt and he would invite his teammates to smell the dirt from the championship field. He would say things like, get a whiff of this because this is where we're headed. This is where we're going. Beloved, that's what we need to do regularly. We are going somewhere. We have a sure future. The victory has already been won. We are going to see the glory of God in all of its radiance and beauty. And so we need to remind ourselves of where our hope lies. Our hope does not lie in the bank accounts and insurance policies and good works and moral lifestyle of this world. Our hope lies in the glory of God in being conformed to that glory when Jesus returns. So notice that these first three possessions we have correspond to the different tenses of our salvation our justification by faith our peace with god is settled in the past once for all it is done our standing in the grace of god and our access to him is present right now and our hope of the glory of god is future oriented past, present, and future. There are no gaps or dead spots in what we have been given in this glorious possession we have. So Christian, rejoice. Rejoice. You have joyful hope of a sure future through our Lord Jesus. What a delicious possession this is. But there is yet more. Notice number four. We have knowledge of suffering's purpose. We have knowledge of suffering's purpose. Now, up until verse 3, you could sort of get the idea that Paul is out of touch with reality. Right? Does Paul even understand that life in this fallen world is difficult and hard? I mean, peace, grace, hope are hard to find with all of the sin, suffering, sorrow we experience in everyday life. You can get the sense that Paul is not even connected to reality. But notice verses 3 and 4. Paul says, not only that, not only do we have all of these glorious things, but look at what we have. But we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So, in the context of rejoicing, and boasting, and celebrating what we have, Paul says we rejoice in our sufferings. This sounds like nonsense. We rejoice in our sufferings. Like, what kind of nonsense is this? What Paul says here is profoundly helpful because what he says is that we have something that produces this rejoicing, even in our sufferings. Paul says because of our justification by faith, we know this truth. We have this knowledge. We know that our suffering is producing something. We have knowledge that pain is not purposeless. Paul says suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame why because it won't let us down this hope will not put us to shame so because we have been justified we have this special knowledge listen the world does not have this knowledge the world tries to counterfeit this knowledge but we know this we know that our suffering is not being wasted in this life second corinthians chapter 4 paul says this and remember all that Paul suffered. Paul suffered way more than any of us have ever even thought about suffering. And he said this about suffering. He said, For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Think what a massively helpful truth this is that we have. Our suffering is being used by God to prepare us to see and know and enjoy the glory of our God for all eternity. Beloved, God's priority is not to take away all our suffering. Just knowing that truth will save you from 10,000 heartaches. God's priority is not to take away all our suffering. Do you see that in the text? Suffering has a good design by our God. It makes us more like Jesus. It molds our character. It keeps us running this race with endurance. And so Christian rejoice. You don't have to wonder if your suffering's being wasted. You don't even have to question If your suffering is being wasted, you know that your suffering is producing good through our Lord Jesus Christ. As we suffer, we are being given the ability to endure. Our character is being purified. Our hope is increasing. What a delightful possession we have because of the work of Jesus. But there is still more. And so notice number five. We have a heart flooded with God's love. We have a heart flooded with God's love. And so the last possession we'll look at in this passage that we have because of our justification by faith is in verse 5. Paul says, Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So we have the love of God poured into our hearts by the Spirit of God. Notice the word poured. This word implies that it's not just a little bit. It's not just a little dab. It's not a few drops. But there's an abundance here. It's been poured out. I use the word flooded to capture this abundance. You see, justification by faith is a legal declaration from God. It's a declaration that we are right in God's sight. But justification doesn't tell the whole story of how God relates to us. God doesn't just relate to us as a judge who declares us not guilty and then move on to another case. No, God in justification pours out His love in abundance on us. Not just on us, but notice what Paul says, in us, in our hearts. The Holy Spirit poured out into our heart is the gift that keeps on giving because we are filled with the Spirit, we are continually filled with God's love toward us in Jesus. It's not a one-time flood. It's a continual flood because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. This is an amazing truth to delight in and enjoy. You may not have a lot of people who love you. You may have a, had a lot of people walk out on you and leave you. But God's love is always abundant toward you in Jesus. If you were in Jesus by faith, God could not love you any more than He does. He could not love you any more than He does. In verse 8, next week, God willing, we're going to see Paul say that God's love is demonstrated definitively on the cross of Christ where He died for us to prove that God loves us eternally. This is good news for us today. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so friends, ask yourself the question, what addictions, what habits, what patterns of sin, what strongholds in your life can stand against the flood of God's love being poured into your heart by the Holy Spirit? What idols in your heart lie to you about how much you need them? You don't need them. What rebellion do you refuse to give up because you wonder what it will cost you? Because the love of God poured into your heart by the Holy Spirit is more than enough to satisfy you, to keep you enduring to the end. Christian, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. God's love has literally been deposited into your heart by the Holy Spirit. You have no lack spiritually. You have none. None. This is what you have, all that you need, and so much more. And so let me go back to the question about whether you enjoy God in response to this truth. Do these truths thrill your soul? Do these truths help you turn away from vain idols and worship the one true God? Beloved, in response to what we have been given, I urge you, turn away from the bankrupt pleasures of this world and come and enjoy what you have been given because of the work of Jesus for you. Christian, you have so much. We have so much. We have peace with God. We have access to God's grace. We have a joyful hope. We have knowledge of suffering's purpose. We have a heart saturated with the love of God. So if you're here and you're not trusting Jesus today, why not? Where, Where else would you find grace and hope and peace and love in this world? And the answer is you don't. Because only Jesus gives these blessings by faith to His people. I tremble to even mention the opposite of these truths. I tremble to even think about what it means if you don't have justification by faith in Jesus. But I wouldn't be a good shepherd if I didn't tell you this morning that the opposite of these blessings are true for those who are outside of Jesus. If you don't trust in Jesus, you don't have peace with God. You are at war with Him. You don't have access to God's grace. You are shut out. You don't have a joyful and sure future hope. You have nothing but misery ahead of you outside of Jesus. You, your suffering is not working for your good. Your suffering is not building your character, but it's building your condemnation even further outside of Jesus. Your suffering is meaningless. Literally meaningless. Meaningless. You don't have God's love poured into your heart because you don't have the Holy Spirit of God poured out into you. And so right now, I mean right this second, turn from your sin. Turn away from it and embrace Jesus alone. He is more than enough for you. He is more than enough for you in this moment. He will be more than enough for you for all eternity. Trust Him now and enjoy this grace with us. Let's pray. Oh God, do Your work and Your people for Your glory. Change hearts, open minds and hearts to You and to Your Word and give the gift of repentance this morning. Lord, forgive us for taking advantage of Your gifts. Forgive us for neglecting and forgetting and living as if we are poor. Oh God, forgive us. You have given us so much. You have blessed us with so many good things. And we pray again that You would help us taste and see You and Your goodness and Your kindness and Your graciousness to us. Oh God, help us to take refuge in You in this life and as we faith, as we faith the wave of death. Oh God, give us faith to take refuge in Jesus. Our hope in life and in death. We pray you do your work and your way, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.